Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's great to see you by way of this live stream. I hope you're doing well. I hope your family is well, and I hope you are uh, surviving well this quarantine of ours. Uh, I want to say a couple of things to you before we start uh, the message. First, I want to thank you for uh, responding so faithfully in your giving. Remember last week we said that by God's grace and your generosity, we were able to enter into this season of pandemic financially strong as a church, and we want to remain financially strong so that we can be strong for others because there are many who are going to need our help after and as this pandemic plays out. A couple of other things that I want to say to you as uh, we realize the extent of this and the length of this, uh, and that is that we're going to be rescheduling some major events here at Center Grove. For example, D-Now for our students is going to be moved to the fall. Uh, Our summer adventure plans for June are going to be moved to July. And uh, family dedication and other uh, um, events like that, we will simply reschedule. Now, we're still going to have Easter. We're just going to do it a little differently. We will do it online. And I want to encourage you to be sure that you're inviting others to join us for Easter online and uh, invite them to share with us in that great celebration of hope that we have, that extraordinary hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to continue our series today entitled uh, The Pandemic and Your Soul. We're we're giving a lot of attention right now to taking care of ourselves physically and emotionally and relationally, but uh, very few are, are, are thinking about or talking about what this means for our souls. And we want to address that together as a church and as a church family. I, I want you to be healthy uh, all across the spectrum. And certainly, I want you to stay healthy in terms of your soul. Now, I know this. I know this. I know that many of you who are watching uh, this morning, you, you're coming secretly and you're, you're saying to yourself, I really, really hope that he brings a message on how to survive a quarantine with parents or how to survive a quarantine with teenagers or how to survive a quarantine with toddlers. And uh, I know there are some of you who are hoping I'll, 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 I'll deliver that same kind of message um, and you don't have parents at home, you don't have teenagers at home, you don't have toddlers at home, but you're hoping I'll bring that same message because the reality is you've got a spouse at home who's beginning to act like a toddler during the quarantine. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know these are rough days for all of us, but I'm going to disappoint you. I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to address that, but I, I actually think I have something better for you. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to John chapter 14. We want to go back to that classic passage that uh, we looked at last Sunday uh, that Jesus has given to his disciples in their own time of Trouble. And today, specifically, I want to speak to you about 
The strength that God gives and the endurance that God gives uh, in and for troubled times. One of the things that you and I realize pretty quickly when trouble comes is that strength and endurance are things that we need, but strength and endurance is something that trouble uh, can very quickly rob us of. When trouble comes, it upends our plans and it shows us our weaknesses. I love the uh, story that uh, Jack Graham, who is pastor of the Prestonwood Church of Dallas, told uh, and tells about a man he met by the name of Newt Guthrie in his very first pastorate at uh, the First Baptist Church of Hobart, Oklahoma. Now, Newt Guthrie was one of the few pharmacists in Hobart, and uh, he was a member at First Baptist. And he tells the story, and the story is this, that Duke Guthrie was an avid hunter. Uh, he uh, had a brand new hunting dog and he wanted to show it off. So he gathered his friends together, some of his hunting friends together. They all got in his pickup truck and headed out to one of Newt's favorite ponds to do a little duck hunting. And when they arrived, they discovered that the pond was still frozen over. And realizing that no self-respecting duck is going to land on a frozen pond, Newt uh, paused for just a moment and showing great strength and great endurance, not letting this hinder him from showing off his new dog and doing some duck hunting. He looked at his friends and he said, I think I've got a solution for this. He said, I've got a couple of sticks of dynamite in the back of my truck. I think I can fix this. And uh, they looked at each other and they looked at him and they said, okay, okay, just as long as we can get away. So he got the dynamite, a couple of sticks of dynamite from his truck lit those things, threw them out in the middle of the pond, and he took off running. Everybody else took off running too, everybody except his new hunting dog. And that new hunting dog did exactly what hunting dogs are supposed to do. He went after what his master had thrown. And so once Newt got settled down and he turned around to see what was happening, he was greeted by the sight of his brand new hunting dog coming straight for him, dynamite on fire and uh, tail wagging. Well, Newt Guthrie did what any self-respecting pharmacist would do at a time like that. He got up and started to run. And uh, at the same time, he gave his friends some very explicit instructions. He said to them, uh, and I quote, shoot the dog, shoot the dog. Well, his friends heard him, but they weren't of a mind to do uh, or to follow his instructions. They were more of a mind to mimic his actions. And so they began to run and uh, they all found themselves in a ditch. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, the dog decided not to chase them and he decided he would wait for his master in the truck. And so in one very quick moment, Newt Guthrie, 75 years old, lost his dog, his dynamite, and his dodge all at the same time. And that, my friends, is a true story. When trouble comes, it calls for strength. When trouble comes, it calls for perseverance. But there are many times and seasons of trouble where our greatest strength and our greatest perseverance are not enough. Our nation is in that kind of season. 
Our nation is in a protracted war against a, a virus and against a failing economic situation. And no one really knows what to do and no one really knows how it's all going to end. I noticed on Friday that uh, new uh, virus hotspots were emerging in Chicago and Detroit and uh, again in uh, New Orleans and that the United States, our nation, became the leader in the number of cases of uh, COVID-19. So we are in a a very difficult place. Some 91,000 of us now have it and uh, over 2,000 of us have died from it. And several of our health officials are saying, hey, the battle's just starting. The battle's just starting. And we need strength. And we need endurance. And yet fear and uncertainty are are growing like kudzu in the south. Here's something I want you to see with me today. Well, this coronavirus is serious beyond words, of course. Here's the reality. Trouble in life is not extraordinary. In fact, trouble is a regular part of life. We're just seeing it very clearly now. We're just experiencing it on a large scale. But what we're experiencing on a large scale has always been true. And so while these are troubled times and troubling times, I want you to to think with me and to see with me that we need something and we need someone greater than ourselves. And it is right here that Jesus brings us incredible comfort and he points us to a way that we're able to tap in to the strength and the endurance that we need. It is a strength and endurance that comes from him. And I want you to see with me what Jesus has to say. We saw last week in John 14, 1, that Jesus gave us both a command and a call. He gave us a command uh, for trouble, and he gave us a call to believe. He commands us not to be afraid, and and he tells us and he shows us that, that being afraid in a time of trouble is actually a choice we make. And then he shows us that the way that we're able to choose something other than fear in the midst of trouble is to go the route of faith. That the the secret of facing trouble is to face it with faith. And the way to face it with faith is to go back and to reflect on and to refresh yourself in the facts of faith that are at the very foundation of what you believe. And so Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, beginning at verse one, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's the command. Believe in God, believe also in me. There's the invitation. And then I want you to see with me today, in verses two and three, Jesus goes on to deliver some of the most essential facts of faith. And it is those facts of faith that give to us the strength and the endurance that we need for any trouble, coronavirus or otherwise. I want us to look at that carefully this morning and I want to encourage you with it. take your Bibles again and turn with me to John chapter 14, and we want to look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, or rather, he says, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Would I say I'm going to prepare a place for you if this weren't the case? 
Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now let's remember again quickly the context in which this passage comes. Jesus in John 13 has announced that he's leaving and where he's going, the disciples can't come. They're thrown in an uproar because they have left family and jobs and security to follow him. And Jesus in response in in chapter 14 moves very, very quickly in the midst of their trouble, their crisis to give them both comfort and direction. And he begins to unpack for them in a critical way the facts of faith that he calls them to put their faith in. I want you to see what he does and how he does it. He answers that question, how can we choose trust over trouble? It's by going back to those foundations and reminding and refreshing ourselves in who God is and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's promised. And I want you to see how Jesus does this. Look at verse 2. It's a very curious thing Uh, because in verse two, as the the disciples are concerned about what's happening right here, right now, Jesus leaving them, and as they're seeking comfort in the here and now, Jesus does the most unexpected thing. He, He talks to them about heaven and he talks to them about the world to come as if, watch this, as if what's coming is the best help for what's happening. He points them to heaven and the world that is to come as if what's coming is best and is the best help for what's happening. There's a lesson there for us. And so he says, let me tell you about a place. Let me share with you my plan. Let me give you a promise. See, Jesus knows that if these disciples can get a handle on these facts, that they will find the strength and the perseverance they need for every dark day that comes. And these are the same facts of faith that you and I need to remind ourselves of and to refresh ourselves in, uh, in our own time of trouble. Let's break this apart and look at it together. Look with me first at verse 2a. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. In other words, Jesus says, I have a place for you. This place of trouble, this situation of trouble that you're in right here, right now, this is not all there is. There is more. There is another place, a place that Jesus describes for us as my father's house. Now, what is vital for us is that Jesus says, regardless of what happens here, he has some place for his people to go. Here, Jesus points us to three great qualities that can give hope and strength today, and and, and they are qualities that come from tomorrow. First of all, he says that the house he points to is a large place, and he says there is room for all. There is room for all. For all. Secondly, he says the house is a home. It is a family place. Now, you and I, we all have different ideas of what a home should be. Some years ago, a London newspaper sponsored a contest for the best definition of home. And they got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of submissions, but only one was selected. And the one that was selected said this, home is the place where you're treated the best 
and you complain the most. I thought that was a pretty good definition. For, for a lot of us, when we think of home, uh, or we think of our houses, we, we don't quite think of them as home. Um, for many of us, our homes are like quick stops or quality marts or sheets. You pull in, you fill up, you keep going. Nobody stays home much, not until there's a quarantine. And it's interesting hearing the stories of people right now coming from their houses and uh, uh, the stories of what they're experiencing. A lot of us, we don't know what to do at home. We, we don't know what to do with each other. But here's what I want you to see. Even in the best of houses that are truly home, safe places where you're welcomed and, and wanted and where you want to be, those, even the best of our homes, are only dim reflections of what this house that Jesus speaks of must be like. See, deep within every single one of us, there is a longing for a place that we can call home. We long for a place where there is protection and provision and healthy relationships and harmony, a place where we're treated the best and we don't need to complain. And this is exactly what Jesus points us to. Why? Well, because of the third quality. The, the house to which he speaks is the Father's house. And loved ones, without a doubt, the greatest thing about this house is whose it is and who is there. It is the Father whose perfect love, whose security, whose acceptance are what you and I need and are always yearning for, always looking for. Every single person I'm speaking to this morning has a longing for home, has a hunger to be in that place where there is perfect acceptance and approval and safety and provision. We all want to know what it's like to be perfectly loved, to be totally accepted just as we are. Jesus says, I have a place for you. And it's precisely that place. So how does this help in times of trouble in the here and now? Well, I want you to see with me and think just for a moment. Knowing the place where we're going helps us to make it in whatever situation we're in now. Knowing where we're going gives us the strength to endure. Knowing where we're going gives us the, the, the strength to press on so that every believer can rightly say in any trouble because of this fact of, play, of, of faith, Jesus says, I have a place. Every believer can say, I can stand what I'm going through because I know where I'm going. This place, as the old spiritual said, it's not my home, but, but the reality is I was made for a better one and I am heading for a better one. So Jesus says to his disciples, when you're facing trouble, take up this fact of faith. I have a place for you. This place, is, this place you're living in, this, 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 this place where you are right now with viruses and cancers, this is not the only place. This place is not home. 
You will never feel completely comfortable here. I was talking with a man the other day, and he said, uh, he's middle-aged, and he said, you know, my wife and I were talking, and, and, and for years we kept saying, you know, one day, one day, things are going to get settled. One day, one day, one day, things are going to get settled. And uh, he's been very successful in his medical practice and all of these things. And, and he looked at me and he said to me, but you know what? We finally decided. I said, what? He said, things are never going to be settled. And he was right. Things will never be completely settled here because we are not yet home. Notice at the end of verse 2, a better place is not all that Jesus points to. In verse 2b, he says, I'm going to prepare a place in this home for you. The expanded meaning of this verse is, I am going for the purpose of preparing. In other words, I have not only a place for you, but I have a plan for you. And after Christ was crucified and raised from the dead and after he ascended to heaven, he, uh, he, and before that transpired, he said, this is what I will be doing. While Christ is gone and while we're waiting for him, he is, of course, as he promised, working in us by his spirit, getting us ready for heaven and the new world that is to come. But here Jesus shows us that while he is getting us ready for home, he's getting our better home ready for us. And right now, no matter what our trouble may be, we can be sure that the Lord Jesus is purposefully preparing something far better for us. And his plan is this, to have a place specially prepared for us to spend eternity with him. Now, chances are good that you know that. But right here, right now, I want you to stop and I want you to pause and I want you to think. The tremendous thing about the purposes and the plans of God are that they are, in a word, invincible. His plans are so unlike our plans that I, I wonder sometimes if we fully embrace what Jesus says to us in passages like this one. Our plans don't always succeed because we lack the capacity to control things and to advance our plans in the way that we want to advance them. But I want to remind you here and now that our God has no such problem. Our God has both a plan and he has total control. He says in Isaiah 46.10, my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. So when Jesus says to his disciples and when Jesus says to you and to me, I am going to prepare a place for you, what he's doing here is he's announcing another part of his father's grand invincible plan for his universe. And he's saying, you're part of it. If you put your faith in me, you're part of it. We must remember in dark days, there is not a human being, there is not a demon, there is not a power in all of the earth or the spiritual realm that can undo what God has decided to do. If Jesus has declared it, he will do it. 
It will be done. I saw an interview with Dr. Alexander Fauci, head of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and who is, by the way, a deeply committed follower of Christ. He was asked how long this virus might actually endure, how long we may be dealing with it. And he said, and I quote, you don't make the timeline, the virus makes the timeline. So in other words, I don't know. I don't know. But you and I can't decide when the virus starts and when the virus ends. The virus makes its own decision. But Fauci knows, and you and I know, that there is a greater schedule that overrides even pandemics. Viruses and cancers, you name it, they can do what they will, but God, what God purposes, that is what will be ultimately done. Satan can do what he will, but God's plan will be carried out. Think with me for a moment. Just think, think, think. Go back to the heart of the gospel. Think. When according to his great plan, the Father sent the Son to the earth, Satan did all that he could to deny Jesus the opportunity to live a sinless life. He tried to use Herod to kill him, but he failed. When Jesus launched his ministry, Satan did everything he could to tempt him in the desert and derail his ministry, but he failed. When the Lord Jesus went to the cross, Satan did his utmost to destroy God's precious gift of a sacrifice for sin, of a payment for our sin, a payment of punishment for us that we could not pay and still have life with him. Satan tried to destroy God's precious gift, but after three days, I think Satan got the message. Jesus rose again. Satan failed. The enemy may try with trouble to deny derail, even destroy you and your faith. But I tell you, if by faith in God's, in the fact of God's purpose, you find his strength, I'm telling you, the enemy will simply fail again. So what is Jesus doing, someone will ask, to prepare a perfect home for us? Some suggest that he's establishing our right to be there. I think he's already done that on the cross. Others think that he's somehow taking possession of our places for us there. But the truth is, it's a mystery. But it's a mystery that only adds to the excitement and the anticipation of what is to come. The anticipation and the excitement of finally being there. How does this help in times of trouble? Well, though we may not understand it fully, the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for us means that every believer can say, in trouble, by faith, I can stand what life is doing to me because I know he's preparing greater things for me. This is not all there 
is. God has a better plan and a better place for you and for me in that plan. Take up, take up, take up that fact of faith. Find his strength, not yours, his strength. Find his capacity for perseverance, not yours. Use it here. Use it now. By God's grace, use it. He has it for you. I want you to hear finally with me what Jesus says in verse 3. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be where I am. In other words, along with the fact of a better place and a better plan, I have a third fact of faith to make you strong. I have a promise for you. I'm coming back to take you home. I love this promise because what it says essentially is what the Bible says elsewhere explicitly. And that is this, that you are never forsaken and you are never forgotten. Some of you right now, you are, you are in an apartment and you are by yourself and your social connections have really been cut off. And you don't want to hear about anybody complaining about what their toddlers are doing or what their spouses are doing. You wish you had some toddlers. You wish you had some spouses if only to irritate you because you feel so isolated, you feel so alone. And some of you were feeling before this pandemic, isolated and alone. Some of you were feeling that before this happened and now it's only compounded. I wanna say to you that if by repentance and faith in Jesus, you have come to belong to him, you are not forgotten. You've not been forsaken. Time and again, I remind myself of this, this great insight of Jesus where he reminded his disciples at an earlier time, he said, listen, my father is always at work and I too am always working. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. I will not forget you. I will not forsake you. We're never forgotten. We're never forsaken no matter what our troubles may try to tell us. Jesus is coming again for his people. We must remember to warn others of this fact. A great judge and a great judgment are coming. But we must also remember to remind ourselves of this fact and to remind other believers of this fact. Because this same reality is a source of great strength for us. Not only is a great judge and a great judgment coming, but a great savior and a great salvation is coming as well. The first time Jesus came as a lowly baby, but the uh, second time he's going to come as the imperial king of the universe. And when the end comes, Jesus himself says, <laughs> he is going to come. He's not going to send an email. He's not going to send a text message. He's not going to, to announce it on Facebook. He's not going to send an angel. But when the end of all things comes, Jesus is coming with the end. 
And when he does come, he's coming personally and bodily and powerfully and visibly. And when he comes, he's coming triumphantly. In Matthew 24, Jesus says that he will appear and the nations will mourn. Oh no, he, he really is coming back. A trumpet will sound and he will send then his angels to gather his children from the north and the south, from the east and from the west. And on that great and awesome day when he does come, Jesus will speak a final begone to every trouble that ever troubled you and me. And poverty and unemployment and war and injustice and cancer and coronavirus will all be banished forever. He will retrieve us. He will receive us. He will glorify us. He will finish what he started. He will perfect us. He will uh, uh, make us like himself. And we will realize as we see him that we've been made like him and it will finally come as clear as it can come that this entire time in the midst of every trouble we ever faced, we were already in Jesus, in Jesus, welcomed by heaven, wanted for heaven and waited for in heaven. I tell you, think about this carefully and you will start to see all of our troubles here are actually quite small. So here's a final reminder. Amid every trouble, believers are always on call. And believers are to live ready all the time for him, with him, awaiting him. And Jesus says, facing trouble, look up, I'm coming soon. Stay faithful, stay fruitful. And the fact that Jesus has given us his promise to return for us, it means that every believer can say, in trouble, by faith, I can bear trouble's pressures for today because I know what he's promised for tomorrow. There is more. His promise is a better promise than any promise anyone else has ever given us. So loved ones, with every trouble that comes, there is a strength and a perseverance from God that is ready for our use. And the way we tap into that strength is to remind and refresh ourselves and our families and our fellow believers in those same great facts of faith. Gladys Aylward was a missionary to China in 1937 during the Japanese invasion of China. When the Japanese invaded her city of Yangchen, she found herself in a dangerous situation. The Lord had given her a ministry to orphaned children. She had a hundred children in her care. 
The Japanese were bearing down on the city, and as they were bearing down, she knew she had to leave because they were so very brutal. And she was faced with the dilemma of having 100 children who depended on her and her own need to get out. She decided she couldn't leave the children, and at the same time, she couldn't stay. So she gathered up those 100 orphans and they began to flee for the mountains into what was known as Free China. The first day of the flight was absolutely miserable. The children were crying. They didn't understand. And that night as they continued their flight, not being able to stop, there was absolutely no rest. Aylward had only one assistant with her. Can you imagine trying to lead 100 little children on foot and to keep them moving? Some of you are thinking you you can't keep your two toddlers at home and you've got Netflix and Hulu. Just tell yourself the rest of this time, remember Gladys, remember Gladys, remember Gladys. She's fleeing. 100 small orphans all on foot running from a mechanized, brutal Japanese army. There came a point in the middle of the night where Gladys, in despair, just sat down, defeated and broken. One of her 13-year-old orphans stopped and said to her, and say, Elward, don't you remember our favorite story? And Elward said, what story is that? The orphan said, you know, the story of Moses leading God's people through the Red Sea. Do you not remember our favorite story? She said, God can deliver us from this. And Elward, despairing and discouraged, said to her, yes, but, but honey, you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm not Moses. I'm not Moses. I can't do this. And the little girl said, yes, you're not Moses. But God is still God. And with that counsel from a little girl, Elward immediately got up and found in the facts of her faith, delivered to her by a 13-year-old child. Found the strength and the perseverance only God can give. She led those orphans to safety. I want to say something to you this morning. No matter how high the numbers get, no matter how many infections there are, no matter how overcrowded hospitals may become, no matter how many deaths we may witness, the Lord is still God. And with every trouble that comes, There is also from him a strength and a capacity for perseverance that is ready for your 
use. Okay. So what trouble are you facing? Is it larger or greater than the place Christ has for you? Is it going to undo the plan and the purpose of God for you? Really? Can it overshadow the promise of his return for you? Jesus says to you, I want you to be where I am. So I want to call you to remember where Jesus is. No trouble of any kind, no trouble of any description can ever endure. But in Christ, you So how is your soul doing in this trouble? Do you find your heart is at rest and at peace? Or do you find your heart is like the hearts of those disciples, roiling, broiling with trouble? If you're a believer, hear me carefully. One of Christ's great gifts to you is this assurance that what is going to happen is far greater than what is happening now. Go back. Touch again the facts of your faith. Go back. See what Christ has done for you See what Christ has won for you. Rest in him. And you will find strength. And you will find perseverance. Perhaps as you're watching today, the reality is that you're not sure where you stand in your, your relationship with Jesus. When people talk about having a personal, living, uh, vital relationship with him, you're not quite sure what they mean by that. You, you perhaps have a, have a knowledge of Jesus. You, you have some understanding of Jesus, of what, he, what he's done. But you've never entered a, um, a living, what the New Testament calls walk with him. And part of that manifests itself in, in this extraordinary need for control and trying to manage life. And this coronavirus has exposed to you your ability to worry, but your inability to control what is, in truth, a very dangerous world. And your heart cries out for rest, but it also cries out for home. It cries out for what Jesus promises in this passage. Maybe your heart just kind of leapt when I was talking about that yearning because your, your heart echoed back that yearning. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it to the full. 
The scripture says, to all who receive him, to them God the Father gives the right to become his children, to have a place in his home. And that receiving Christ, the New Testament explains, is coming in really three steps of accepting what Jesus has done in living a sinless life, the kind of life you and I should have lived, but we we can't and never have, in dying on the cross, a death he didn't deserve, a death that we did deserve. In dying on that cross, he took our place so that in taking the penalty for sin, we would not have to. In being raised from the dead, he demonstrated that God had received his payment on our behalf. And all that remains, the New Testament says, is when we've accepted that is to put our faith, our trust in him for life. To say no to work and money and and happiness here or there or pleasure, but to say my life isn't found in any of those things, but my life can only be found in Jesus. And accepting all that he has done, place faith in him and say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And because I trust you, I receive you not only as my savior from sin, but as Lord over all of my life. I give you literally my life. And when that happens, the scripture teaches that Christ comes into our lives and we become united to him and and one with him. And we begin this walk, this journey with him, in him. And all that we are and all that he is come to be bound together. There's a third step, and that is after we've accepted him and and we've put our faith in there, it's a matter of being realistic And saying, all right, now, Lord, if I'm going to live for you, I'm going to have to have your help. I'm going to confess my need for you day in and day out. As I accept what Jesus has done, as I believe in what Jesus has done. And by the way, part of believing is confessing, repenting of our sin, of acknowledging our sin. And saying, yes, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Then the next step is saying consistently day after day, Lord, I'm leaning on you. I'm walking with you. My eyes are on you. I want to live for you and with you. Perhaps you've never, ever taken that step or understood that. Today you can. With a very deliberate act of faith, bow your head and pray and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you died for me. I believe you live. I believe you're coming again. I've sinned and I acknowledge that. I need the Savior that you are. I give you my life, both now in the midst of this virus, for the rest of my days and forever. If you will pray that prayer and you mean it, he will save you and give you new life. So Father, uh, as we've gathered around these screens all across the region and parts of the nation, 
we acknowledge that you are ultimately in Christ the great cure for every trouble that we face. And we thank you, Father, that one day when Christ comes again, he will banish it and we will see it no more. And for this, we're grateful. Grant, Lord, that you find followers of your son being faithful and fruitful in these days, not fearful. And grant that these friends who today would give their lives to Christ, I I pray they will take that step and find that abundant life that only you can give even in the midst of a pandemic. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.